Hey gang, good morning. Uh, welcome to CHF Devotion, Tuesday, October 22nd. Uh, good to be here with you this week after I was gone last week in San Diego, California. Man, I'll tell you, um, the weather is quite the contrast. Getting uh, on the plane in San Diego, it had been, I think, no higher than 70 degrees and no lower than like 60 degrees and there was not a cloud in the sky and I came home and it was of course rainy and stormy and cloudy and all of that stuff everywhere here back on the east coast but uh, I'm here in my backyard today so that's why I've got the hoodie on uh, wasn't able to go into the office just yet this morning so I'm here with you outside with the beautiful fall leaves behind me uh, so anyhow we're talking about 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 today we're gonna be looking at verses 1 through 13 and of course, uh, a big part of this letter is Paul defending his ministry against, um, well, people that are calling themselves super apostles. They're trying to undermine Paul's authority and Paul's ministry to the church at Corinth. And so throughout the letter, there is there are these defenses that Paul makes of himself. And, and he continues to do that today in chapter 6. Now, ultimately, uh, any ministry that takes place, any service that's, that takes place in the name of Jesus is ultimately done by the hand of God. We know that. He's, uh, he's sovereign. Uh, Christ is the head of the body, and surely the body is not going to be able to function without the head guiding it, you know. Um, that said, there is an aspect to ministry, and especially the apostolic ministry that Paul was a part of, in which the minister was, in some sense, partnering with God to achieve God's grand purpose. There is this sense of being, of doing things together, and you find language like this in like Mark 16, 20, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, and, uh, and of course today. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says this, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So so Paul, if you remember the last time we, we got together, Paul was talking about what it's like to be an ambassador of Christ, to uh, speak on Christ's behalf, to speak only what Christ's words are, uh, to not sort of, you know, make up our own message and that sort of thing. And he's continuing on that line of thought, saying, working together with him then, we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, now, how how can someone receive the grace of God in vain? What does that even mean? Well, I think especially in this context, uh, in, to the Corinthian church that was being tempted by the quote-unquote super apostles to abandon Paul and follow them, uh, these super apostles were similar to the Judaizers that had infiltrated the Galatian church. Now, when we think about, um, you know, a, a sentence like this, receiving the grace of God in vain, our tendency is to think Paul is warning them not to be fruitless. He's warning them that they need to show by their works that they really, truly, sincerely have received the grace of God, that they really, 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 really believe it. And I think that's the way something like this is often preached. But remember, contextually, in the Corinthian church. What was the issue? Well, one of the big issues is that they were tempted to go back under the law. 
And so I would argue that actually to receive the grace of God in vain is to actually deny the grace of God and its power in exchange for living legalistically, for living according or trying to live according to the law's demands in order to prove or in order to achieve your salvation. And I think that that's backed up by the rest of the context of the New Testament. To receive the grace of God in vain is not necessarily shown by your inability to stop sinning or your own righteousness, but no, it's rather turning to the law as if it's the power to save you, and it's not. And so Paul warns them, as a good pastor, I don't want you to receive the grace of God in vain. Quoting from uh, the prophet Isaiah, for he says in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So again, Paul is saying, you've got, you've got it already. Why are you exchanging it for a, uh, why are you exchanging it for, for such a sad substitute, exchanging the gospel for the law? Now, as he partners with God, as, as he uses here, he talks about the way he goes about his ministry. And he says that the way he's going to do it is by trying to put no obstacle in people's way from receiving the grace of God. Well, what does that look like? Listen to what he says. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Wow, that's a mouthful. What does Paul say it looks like to seek to not put any obstacle in people's way from receiving the grace of God. Well, sometimes not being a stumbling block or being an obstacle looks like being able to endure trials. He mentions great endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And indeed, Jesus said to his disciples throughout his ministry that there would be a sense in which they could expect to face persecution and difficulty and struggle. And sometimes for a minister, and especially for the apostles, that was part of the deal. Uh, you can see the apostles get arrested or be held up by uh, the Sanhedrin in the early days of the book of Acts. And they don't, they don't protest as much as they submit to it and they deal with it and they endure it. And there can be an expectation uh, that, that that could come to pass. Now, in the North American church, of course, we have uh, been used to getting our way in the public square for a long time. But I believe that is changing and that is continuing to change in North America. And we ought not be shocked by this. We should expect it and we should try very hard if we seek to minister and not put any obstacle in people's way. We should try very hard to endure these things by the strength of Christ so that we would um, be able to give them Christ. 
Uh, not being a stumbling block also means going on offense sometimes. Uh, so it's not just defense. It's not just enduring. But he says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God. So he, he, at the same time as you're enduring things, you're also you're also sharing knowledge. You're also seeking to live in such a way that you display God's power or that God's power is manifested through you by truthful speech and by genuine love. These are, these are not passive things. These are active verbs that Paul is saying we, we've tried to display to people so that we wouldn't put any obstacle in people's way. We don't, that's again the goal. We don't want to put any obstacle in people's way from just being able to hear the truth of the gospel. Uh, by accepting both sides of the coin, sometimes that's the way you are able to uh, take away any obstacles that people might have. Uh, the apostle refers to this two-sided aspect of the ministry as the, quote, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And of course, this is an allusion to battle. The right hand was the, the hand that carried the sword, and the left hand was the hand that carried the shield. And so, so Paul says, you know, there's going to be this, this discernment that we need in order to know when we need to go on offense and when we need to go on defense as we seek to minister and bring the gospel to people. And this language is used throughout the New Testament. When we talk about apologetics, of course, apologetics in its root word means just to, to make a defense. Sometimes we're just called to defend what we believe if someone asks for the hope that we have within us, as First Peter tells us. There's other times where we're called to tear down strongholds, as the Apostle Paul will say elsewhere, that we're called to actually go on offense. Both those things, but we do it in such a way that we don't want to put any stumbling block before others. Now, I, as I'm sure you have uh, had experience with, people that believe because they're offensive, especially on the old Twitter, um, that because they're offensive and harsh and tough, and people then get mad at them that that's actually evidence that they're really shining for the kingdom of God. Uh, no, you're just a jerk face, and uh, that's really what's going on. Uh, you're not actually shining for Jesus. You're just a jerk. Uh, Twitter has an abundance of that all the time. Uh, so we don't want to be people that uh, that unnecessarily cause offense and put obstacles in people's way. Uh, unfortunately, Christian Twitter, Christian Facebook, Christian anything in social media, oftentimes, I'm convinced, puts way too many obstacles in people's way. Theological arguments over minutiae online in front of the world. What is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Go to your own wall. Talk, call each other on the phone. Go get a cup of coffee. But in front of the world, you're going to argue about this, that, and the other thing? Come on, man. Like, it's, it just puts obstacles in people's way that we don't want to have, we don't need to have. And I think Paul is, is alluding to all of that as we, as we talk about this today. And then finally, Paul says, you know, if I'm, if I'm not going to put any obstacles in people's way, I, here's what it really is going to take for me as a minister. I'm going to open my heart up wide to you. Listen to what he says in verses 11 through 13. And I think this, I think this describes uh, so much of, of pastoral ministry today, if it's done well. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Now, the way you can translate, we have spoken freely to you, actually in Greek is, we have spoken with our mouths wide open to you, and our heart is wide open. So it's not just my speech, but it's my heart. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. 
In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now, let me just translate what that all means, or at least interpret for you what I think this means. I think Paul is saying is that what's part of what's made him effective as an apostle that has not put obstacles in people's way is that he, as the minister to them, has made himself vulnerable in every way. He hasn't hidden his struggles. He hasn't made himself better than he really is. He's not the hero of the illustration in every sermon. He's been real with them. And we see evidence of that in the New Testament. The apostle is brutally honest in Romans 7 about his own struggles with sin. I mean, man, he had a lot to lose by coming out and talking like that. He really did. And it's been, frankly, um, controversial from the time he wrote it until today. There's still many who say there's no way that Paul can be talking about his life as a Christian struggling with sin. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, he did. He does. Because he's opened wide his mouth to them and his heart to them. And I would say this, and I've said this here before, if a pastor is is not going to be willing to share his own struggles and his own uh, imperfections with the congregation he serves, I promise you he will not be effective in bringing people to the gospel. As a matter of fact, that will be an obstacle that is put in people's way because they'll think that they have to be something that they're not in order to get the kingdom of God. You will give off the impression as a minister if all your talk and all your speech never shares your own struggles, never shares your own obstacles. If people know that you as a pastor, you as a minister, are just as imperfect as them, and yet you're saved by the grace of God, well, maybe then they start to believe, hey, maybe there's a place for me here in the kingdom. That's what did it for me. That When I was a teenager, I had come from a background in which, if I did go to church, it was a church experience where everybody seemed to have everything together. They all had beautiful smiles. They all looked so pretty and handsome. They all seemed like, hey, how you doing? You know, every Sunday. And I just thought, man, I can't relate to these people at all. Like they, got, <laughs> I remember thinking that as an early, at an early age. But it was being invited to a youth group with uh, with a friend of mine in high school, and hearing the youth pastor there uh, talk about his own struggles with lust, or talk about his own struggles with anger, or losing his temper, and just being like, wow. But you're a pastor. I did. I didn't think you have any of those struggles with it. I thought you were past that. He's like, no, 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 I'm still, still just as human as before. That was the first time I had seen that, and it was the first time that I realized, well, if this guy's in, and he struggles, I struggle, maybe there's a spot for me. Maybe I belong too. And indeed, I do belong, as do you, because Christ has been crucified for all sinners, and therefore makes a spot for all sinners in his kingdom, and even might use you as a sinner to minister to others as you seek to put no obstacle in people's way from receiving this good news of Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. All right, gang, that is it. Somebody said it looks cold here. It's actually not too cold. It's, uh, well, not too cold for uh, out east. It's like 50 degrees. And I got a hoodie. I'm good to go. I run warm. So, uh, all right, gang, we'll talk to you soon. See you next Tuesday. God bless.